Turn, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 3. It was suggested that I skip this passage, but for some reason I can't do that. We started in verse 13 of chapter 2, dealing with the idea of submission to authority. We started with submission to the institution of government, and we talked about the fact that we are free, but we are not free to use our freedom to sin. Then last week, we talked about masters and servants, employers, employees, and we actually spent our time talking about suffering. Because what if you have a master, an employer, who is an unjust person? Well, we used Christ as the example to talk about the redemptive quality of suffering. And we didn't like that. We didn't like the idea of suffering. Well, if you didn't like that, you're not going to like this. Chapter 3, verse 1, likewise, in the same way that we've talked about government and we've talked about uh, Masters and servants in the same way. Likewise, wives be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is in God's sight is very precious. For this is how, this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening." Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Since there are no questions, we'll dismiss in prayer. I will begin with a poem. This is a poem by G.K. Chesterton called Comparisons. If I set the sun beside the moon, and if I set the land beside the sea, and if I set the town beside the country, and if I set the man beside the woman, I suppose some fool would talk about one being better. That's all of it. <laughs> we are going to deal today with a topic that is off-limits in a lot of our society. You can read articles, because I have read them. You can listen to people, because I've listened to them. Who will say that the idea that wives should be submissive to their husbands is the sign of a cult? I mean, I've heard that exact phrase. It is the mark of a cult that you would believe such things in a modern-day period. And so most lessons that deal with this passage, if they deal with it at all, will spend most of their time talking about what it doesn't say. 
Okay? Submission doesn't mean this. And then, oh, we're out of time, and we pray, and we go home. Uh, but unfortunately, it's not up to us to disregard certain passages of the Scripture. And in fact, it's not just Peter. It's in Ephesians. It's in Timothy. It's in Corinth. It's all over the place. This gets repeated over and over again. So... What does it mean? Why is it here? Why is it important? So, first observation. Wives, be subject to your own husbands. Who is the wife supposed to be subject to? This is not a trick question. Her own husband. There is nothing in this passage about women in general submitting to men in general. It's just not there. Okay, this is one woman subjecting herself to one man. That's it. Okay, make sure we understand that. Number two, let's keep going. So that even if they do not obey the word, we are told in the scripture that we are not to be unequally yoked. That is, a believer is not supposed to marry an unbeliever. But at this time, and even today, it would have been very likely that you have a woman who has heard the gospel message, responded to the gospel message, and her husband is still a good old-fashioned pagan. What is she supposed to do? Well, she's supposed to nag him until he becomes a Christian, right? <laughs> Isn't that what we would do? And Peter is going to tell her, tell us, that that's not going to work. Never has, never will. Now, this next verse is going to deal with an, a believing woman and an unbelieving husband. And there are those who take this passage to mean that's all that he's talking about. But I think he's talking in general to women and in the next section to men, to husbands. So let's deal with the first topic, though, which is a believing woman and an unbelieving husband. So, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, that is, they are not a believer, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Now, later in the book, we're going to talk about us communicating the gospel to, well, people, those outside the church. The same idea is going to apply. This is not something radical. This is something that all of us need to understand as we go into the world to share the gospel, to present the gospel, to defend the gospel to those around us. People are going to stare at our conduct to determine whether they want to hear our message. And Peter is telling the wives, if your husband is not a believer, you are not ever, 
ever going to convert them by being disrespectful to them. Huh. And you know, this is our basic tendency, right? You disagree with me, so I start talking louder. You continue to disagree with me, and I talk louder. Somehow thinking that if I talk louder, eventually you'll understand how important it is and you'll follow my ideas. I'll give you a hint. That doesn't work. There is some discussion about the whole idea of preaching, what used to be known as hellfire and brimstone preaching. Uh, I have a theory about that. Okay, my theory is simply this. In the days before microphones, I had to stand up here and yell or you weren't going to hear me. You just weren't going to do it. But when I talk to an individual, yelling doesn't ever work. Ever. What we need to demonstrate is a respectful and pure conduct. More about this in just a moment. So, you as the wife of an unbelieving husband obviously should desire that your husband accept Christ. And Peter is saying, do it by demonstrating a respectful and pure conduct. And then he gets distracted here for just a moment. In fact, he just runs amok. Do not let your adorning be external by the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. Is Peter telling us that women braiding their hair, I'm going to look around, uh, women braiding their hair or women wearing gold jewelry is a sin? Ah, I've got you. I'm not looking at anybody. No, that's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is your focus. The focus is either going to be on external beauty or it's going to be on an internal beauty. Let's keep going. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Here's my choice. I can spend my time with the external as if that is all that is important, or I can do what God finds valuable, which is work on the inner person. Obviously, we know what the answer that Peter is proposing. If you're not working on the inner and only working on the outer, you are going to be, as Christ described the Pharisees, simply whitewashed tombs. You look really good on the outside, but you have nothing but death and decay on the inside. So he is not saying that you don't, well, whitewash the tomb. He's not saying that the external is sin. What he is saying is that is not what ultimately matters. So, what does ultimately matter? Let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart. 
wife of an unbelieving husband. Wife of the unbelieving husband who wants to convert the husband. You're going to do it with respectful and pure conduct. What does that pure conduct look like? Or where does that pure conduct start? It does not start with emphasizing external things. That is how you do your hair and what you wear. What it starts with is the change in your heart. From a Christian perspective, all change begins with a change of the heart. God looks at the condition of the heart, and out of the heart comes everything else. So, the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty, let's just stop right there. Imperishable beauty. We in our society today emphasize a bunch, a lot, external beauty. We watch movies, we watch TV shows, we watch the commercials in the TV shows. And they're all about some external thing. Either what you look like or what you own, what you possess. So it is what you look like, well, the braiding of the hair, or it's what you own, oh, the gold jewelry, the bling. And Peter is telling us that is not what is most important. I always remember we had an elderly lady at our church growing up, and somewhere in there, this bizarre idea came into my mind, okay? You got all these attractive young women in the church, and somebody needed to take this godly elderly woman up on the stage and said, all of you, someday you're going to look like her. (laughs) The question is going to be, is your heart going to look like hers? That's the only question. Peter is telling you, you are the wife of an unbelieving husband. You want to win him over. You do it by the condition of your heart, not by focusing on external things, but by focusing on your heart. And he gives a couple of examples. Imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. What in the world is a gentle and quiet spirit? That word gentle is the same word that is over in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And if you remember seven years ago, when I went through the Sermon on the Mount, we had a long discussion about that because we hate that word. Because meek sounds a whole lot like weak. And we hate the idea of being weak. 
Well, in reality, they have nothing to do with each other. Gentleness, meekness, is power under control. Under whose control? God's. Under whose control in this passage? The husband. <gasps> I didn't really say that out loud, did I? We know the difference between a gentle person, but we normally think of gentleness like being gentle to children or something. You know, husbands need to be treated gently at times. Anybody that we're trying to persuade needs to be treated with gentleness. And just in case you have a mistaken view that a gentle and quiet spirit is something that only applies to women, remember the blessed or the meek has absolutely nothing to do with male or female. And later in the book of 1 Peter, we're going to talk about being gentle, and it has nothing to do with male and female. All of us as believers are called to be gentle particularly when we're trying to persuade someone to the gospel. How can we learn to be gentle in an age that emphasizes, I'm strong, I'm bold, I'm going to let you know, I'm going to beat you over the head until you agree with whatever, whatever it is I want you to agree with. That's what our world is teaching us. It begins with the condition of the heart. A heart that gives us gentleness and a quiet spirit. Now, what is a quiet spirit? We think of quiet as the absence of sound. Okay? Living in a house at one time with eight children living in the house... Um, I don't know what quiet was. No, I, I did a lot of my reading in the bathroom. <laughs> I kid you not, I have worked on lessons sitting on the side of the bathtub, reading my Bible with the bathroom door, the bedroom door closed, hoping that it would keep some of the, okay? But that's not necessarily what it's talking about here, although that may be part of it. Do you remember that verse that says, you know, pray for your leaders so that they will allow you to live quiet lives? That's a life without anxiety, without strife. I don't know about your house, but the other night the storms blew through and I'm sitting there in my den and my dog is there. My dog hates storms. She sat there, and the back half of her was going like this, nonstop. That's the opposite of a quiet spirit. That is the opposite of being without anxiety. What gives us anxiety? A lack of faith. 
I just always go back to pick any gospel you want to read. And what is Jesus always telling his disciples? Why don't you have faith? I'm in the boat and the storm's coming. And Jesus is asleep in the boat. Now, a intelligent Christian would say, you know, Jesus in the boat, it's probably going to be okay. But that's not what I would say. I'd grab Jesus, wake him up. What are you going to do about this? And that's what we do. So wives, be subject to your husbands by a gentle and quiet spirit. And by the way, it's not just husbands that find this pleasing. It is God himself. Why? Because it demonstrates that our trust is in God. Let's back up just a little bit. Be subject to the emperor and the governors. I know, this is Peter talking, very loose translation. I know your freedom is in Christ. But don't use that freedom as freedom to do something that's not going to bring honor to God. So, subject yourself to the governing authorities. Wives, be subject to your husbands. But I know, I know because it's going to say it in just a moment. The women are co-heirs with their husbands. There is no distinction in your relationship with God. Well, if I have freedom, then don't I as a wife have freedom? Yes, but don't use that freedom. Last week's lesson. Be subject to your master, your employer. But what if they're unjust? Well, God is going to bring something out of your suffering. I don't know what it is, but God's going to do it. But what if my husband is unjust? How are you going to win him over? By nagging him? Nope. By a gentle and quiet spirit. For this is how the holy women, let's just stop right there. Holy women. Holiness is being set apart for God. This is how the holy women, these are the people that you are supposed to be looking at. And just for observations, there are holy men too, okay? We need to be aware of the holy men and women so we can see how do they live their lives. Instead, we pay attention to the people we see on TV. Guess what? There is nothing there for you to emulate. Nothing. I told you, I've told you before, but I'll repeat it. You remember my dog who doesn't like the storms? She also doesn't like darkness. Okay? 
And so every night when I go to bed, I turn the TV on for the dog to watch. No wonder she's anxious. She watches TV all night. So I come out there and she's watching this celebrity gossip show. And I'm going, why would people watch this? Because we are impressed with people who are celebrities. You know the definition of a celebrity, somebody who is known for being known. That's all they're known for, that they're known. I should. This is how the holy women, young women, need to be watching the holy women. You and I need to be watching those who are holy. Those are the people we are called to emulate. That's why women, wives, excuse me, wives are told to ask their husbands about, I don't understand this passage, what does it mean? Okay? But there's one thing in the scripture that the husbands aren't supposed to teach their wives. Older women teach the younger women to be respectful to their husbands. The older women, the holy women, are to teach the younger women. Now, wait a minute. I'm not that holy. What does holiness mean? Set apart from God. It doesn't mean you're not human. It just means you're, okay, set apart. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God. If you remember, 1 Peter has been called the epistle of hope. The church is that he is writing to or beginning to undergo persecution, and they need hope. Hope is not just wishful thinking. Hope is the expectation that God has fulfilled all of his promises in the past. He will continue to do so today. The holy women hoped in God. Now, I hate to make a stupid statement, but I'm going to go ahead and do it. Their hope was not in their husbands. Their hope was in God. I don't know about you, husbands, but if your wife is hoping in you, they're going to be disappointed. The holy women, those who were set apart for God, those who are you are called to emulate, put their hope in God. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. Remember, we're talking about external adornment versus internal adornment. By submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Now, to the best of my knowledge, my wife has never called me Lord, (laughs) nor do I have the expectation of that. I did want my grandchildren to call me His Royal Highness, but for some reason, that is beyond their vocal abilities. (laughs) The question is not, is this phrase, my Lord, used? The question is, is respect being shown to the husband? 
That's what is expected from the wife. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. I like that phrase. It's kind of weird. Fear anything that is frightening. But what else would you fear? Okay. There are things out there, Peter is telling them, that are scary. Don't fear them. The storm is real, disciples. The storm is real. But Jesus is in the boat. Don't fear them. So what is the instruction that we use Sarah as an example, do good and don't give in to fear? Now, what are you going to fear? I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. Likewise, husbands. Now, we're not going on to the husbands yet. I need to have just a little bit of a philosophical discussion. Just a little bit. I was listening to a uh, speaker this week, and uh, he commented on a remark he had heard in a chapel service. The whoever, pastor, whoever was giving the chapel service, made some comment about God our Father. And the guy that I was listening to uh, was sitting next to a woman, and she said, well, if God is a father, I want nothing to do with him. Now, when you hear that, you know what causes that, right? A really bad father. Okay? That's obvious. That's why when I tell husbands who are going to get married and have children, while your children will have a relationship or not with God, you as a father will make it easier or harder based on their looking at you as a father. Okay? Here's the philosophical discussion. If you remember... Uh, Two years ago, we did a, uh, a little worldview discussion, and we talked about postmodernism, okay? And we went through this interesting chart, at least I think it's interesting, that in the pre-modern period, that is, everything before the Enlightenment, there were three basic sources of knowledge. There was revelation, the Word of God, there was reason, I thought about it, and there was experience. These three were all sources of knowledge. When the age of the Enlightenment came, came along, that top one of revelation was dismissed. And we were left with reason, I thought about it, and experience, I touched the fire, it burned me, I won't do that again. Well, postmodernism got rid of that middle one. That middle one being reason. Why? Because the most reasonable people in the world were making gas to gas people in World War I. They were figuring out how to kill Jews better in World War II. They made atomic weapons. That's really bad. So all that we are left with is experience. 
So if I am sitting in this chapel service and the pastor says, God our Father, and my experience is bad, what's left? I don't want anything to do with God. I know this may shock you, but there are really bad husbands out there. Okay? There really are. And if our experience is the only source of knowledge that we recognize, you're going to say, I saw a bad husband, I married a bad husband, all husbands stink, let's get rid of them. And I kid you not, I read those people, okay? I read those people who say, why in the world do we even bother with marriage? Marriage, being a wife, is enslavement. Why? Because that's their experience. Now, are you saying, Kyle, that experience is not important? Experience is very important. But it's not the only importance. We know that there are good fathers. And we know that God is our good father. So if the experience doesn't line up with the revelation, we don't deny the experience. We just don't say that's the only source of knowledge. If you read and watch enough in today's world, you're going to think all husbands are beating their wives, all husbands are misusing their wives, and all husbands are wretched. And if that is your personal experience, I am really sorry. You know what? That's true. It was a bad experience. But if we look at the revelation of God, we know what a good father is, and we know what a good husband is. Why? Because Christ is the groom, and the church is the bride. We may not experience in this life the perfect father, but we have a perfect father. We in this life may not experience, well, you won't, forget this, you won't experience the perfect husband, but we have a perfect husband who is Christ. We use our faith to understand even when our experience is not what even God would want it to be. So, likewise, husbands. Likewise, likewise, in the same way, in the same way that we talked about the wives, let's talk about the husbands. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Okay? Husbands, you need to understand your wife. You've heard the old joke, right? The guy's walking down, he finds the, the container, he rubs it, out pops the genie. The genie says, I'll give you any wish you want. One wish, what would it be? He says, well, I always wanted to go to Hawaii, but I'm scared of flying. I want you to make me a highway to Hawaii. And the genie says, are you nuts? That'd be really hard. Think of something else. And the guy says, okay, explain women to me. 
And the genie says, you want two lanes or four lanes? <laughs> it's a really old bad joke. <laughs> Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. How? By showing honor to women, to the woman, to the woman. How do we show honor to them? I tell the young men, the couples that we do marriage mentoring with, I believe the husband is the head of the household. I also believe that a husband is a fool if he does not listen to the wise wisdom of his wife. Okay? What this section is dealing with, well, let's keep going. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Okay, women, how many of you does that really bother? You go throughout history, and this phrase, the weaker vessel, gets uh, manipulated in a lot of different ways. What we have kind of agreed to today is it does mean physical strength. Okay? The average Typical man is stronger than the average typical female. Anybody want to argue with that? Well, to me, that's only true if you put strength in a very small box, like lifting weight, okay? We helped our son and uh, our son-in-law and daughter move, and my son-in-law and I carried in all the big furniture, okay? Mm -hmm. Until the last piece, and I said, it was the biggest piece, and I said, Teresa, I cannot do this. So I needed help. But anyway, we view this as being stronger as in physical strength. If it's physical strength as in delivering babies, well, the women win. But throughout history, people have taken this passage to mean, well, women are too emotional, they don't have the stamina, et cetera, et cetera, so they're weaker persons. Well, that's not really what it's saying, okay? If you go to your cabinet at home and find a piece of fine china, and you go out to the yard and you find a brick, one of those is weaker than the other. One of them will smash the other. But the one that will be smashed is not of lesser value. In fact, it's of greater value because of its more fragile nature. That's an illustration that is used to refer to women. I would like to propose a slightly different view of this. Wives, in the same way, be subject to your husbands. And when you're doing that, don't give in to fear. The last sentence. Why, why would you fear if you were being subject to your husbands? Because you don't know what they're going to do. Likewise, husbands, treat your wife as understanding with understanding because she has put herself under your responsibility. 
She has assumed the weaker position by putting herself under you. And husbands don't abuse that. I think Peter is telling them, if the wife has submitted herself to you, thus putting herself in a weaker position, husbands, don't you dare abuse that position. Because you know what? Some husbands do. Treat them with understanding. Why? Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. There is no distinction in the heavenly realm of the slave and the master, the emperor or the subject, or the husband or the wife. There isn't any. I think that throughout history, men reading this passage about women submitting to their husbands have worked real hard, well, she should submit because I'm better. This has nothing to do with that. Nothing at all. You are co-heirs of the grace of God. Women submit because God has told them to do so. Women submit, men submit to their employer. Everybody submits to the governing authorities. Everybody submits to someone. Why? Because that's the way God has arranged the universe. It has nothing to do with us trying to figure out who's better. Well, my wife should submit because I'm smarter than she is. No. My wife should submit because I'm better. No. 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 No, no. She submits because her hope is in God. This whole section, all of this that we've talked about for the last three weeks has been about authority. We as modern 21st century Americans hate the idea of authority. Nobody has the right to tell us what to do. I hate to tell you this. God has the right to tell you what to do. And God has told you to obey the governing authorities unless they tell you to violate the word of God. God has told you in your employment to work as unto the Lord unless they tell you to violate the word of God. God has told women to be wives to be subject to their husbands unless they tell you to violate the word of God. But I'm free under God. Yes, you are. But don't use that freedom as an excuse to violate the word of God. But what if my boss, my emperor, or my husband is unjust? 
Well, God works through suffering. Now, every time I have this discussion, somebody does ask the question, so I'm just going to answer it. What if your husband is beating on you? Okay? And the answer is very clear. Leave. Okay? You are not a punching bag. You never have been. You never will be. Or you never ought to be. That's the right answer. Leave. And if that involves getting the governing authorities in motion to stop that from happening, do it. But what if my husband tells me to do something I don't want to do? I can't help you with that one. Why? Because the scripture says, wives, be subject to your husbands. Since they are co-heirs with you of the grace of life. And you know what? There's no discussion in the paragraph about women of the penalty of not doing this. Wives, be subject to your husbands. The only implication is you're not going to win the unbelieving husband by disregarding respect and a gentle and quiet spirit. But when it gets to the guys, there is a penalty associated with this. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Why? So that your prayers may not be hindered. Guys, I hate to tell you this. If you do not treat your wife in an understanding way, recognizing her as a co-heir of Christ, And when you sit down to pray, God may be listening to a radio program. He may be doing something else. How weird is that? What is he saying? He's saying, if you're not doing that which God would have you to do, God may just let you sit there for a while before moving you on to where you think you ought to be because he knows you're not where you ought to be right now. That's really a pretty big deal. A really big deal. So, wives be subject to your husband. Don't be as concerned about the external adornment as the internal a gentle and quiet spirit. If you've noticed in 1 Peter, we've seen several things that talk about that which perishes and that which doesn't perish. Once again, they're undergoing persecution. Your concern is, am I going to lose all this stuff that God is... Nope, the stuff that God's given you is okay. You may lose all this external stuff, but you're not going to lose God. The external adornment is all in that camp of it's going to pass away. Rather be more interested in the internal, and I might add, that applies to guys and to gals. Husbands, live with your wives with understanding. Think about it. Figure it out. Once again, 
We're not implying perfection in the wife. We're not implying perfection in the husband. We're just looking at a direction. Why do we do this? Because the holy women of old put their hope in God. It really is all about hope. If my hope is in this world, then I've got to be in charge. I've got to be the person calling the shots. I'm not going to submit to the government. I'm not going to submit to my employer. And I'm certainly not going to submit to anyone in a personal relationship. I would love to be able to say that the Bible doesn't mean this anymore. But guess what? I can't say that. It says it too many times. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, that each of us would work at having a gentle and quiet spirit. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.